Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to C3 Corumbans podcast. We want you to know that you are loved by a God who is love. So good to have you with us. Why don't you enjoy this week's sermon? Please put your hands together. Welcome, Pastor Justin. Come on over. Dan. Dan. Beautiful man. So many similarities. I didn't realize 17 years and um, all those things we have in common, and we look the same. Probably think, wow, this Dan's just shot up a little bit, like, but um, you're not short, Dan. It's, you're not. You're really quite tall. Just gonna get my um, laptop open because I'm I'm not like Dan. I, I need notes. Um, Dan has this beautiful gift of being able to um, remember scriptures and events and times and dates, dating back to the first century. And he can recall them on demand. And he could probably preach for like 17 hours straight. I'm, I'm convinced of that. I don't have that gift. I have the gift of notes. And <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for that. Uh, as Dan said, um, we, are, we are great mates. It is a privilege for me to be here. I love this church um, so much about it. I love Dan and Han and their family. Um, and... Yeah, all the things that, that you said then absolutely echoed for me. And I, I have visions of us in our 80s on, on, a, on a deck, something like a big balcony overseeing. I'm prophesying a vineyard. I'm seeing a vineyard. Um, and a delicious Shiraz of some description, aged, of course. Um, and, but in all seriousness, I see us in, in our old age, and I hope this happens, where we sit back and we just reminisce about all the things God did through us and how we were able to partner together and support one another through the building of the church and loving people and and just serving Jesus faithfully, whether it's in youth ministry, leading a church or whatever God would have next for us. We just want to serve Jesus and that's our heart. And so I I pray that that would happen for us in our old age and that maybe I get a little bit shorter and we sort of match in height at some point, but we'll see if that happens or not. as Dan said, yes, I'm married uh, 20 years this year. I know she's incredibly patient. She's amazing. Um, she's actually preaching right now in Coffs Harbour. And so I'm praying and texting her. And um, so I'm sure that's going fantastic. But um, we love Coffs, the home of the big banana, in case you didn't know. Uh, it's, it's our claim to fame. That's all we've got. And so we're going to ride that forever. Um, it's seriously not that impressive if you've ever been there. It's, it's not much, uh, but it's all we have. And so... Uh, and the Hoi Moi, why did you have to say that? Oh, I've still got the stab wounds from when I went there last time. I'm just joking. Um, and, and, and we also love Pastor Eric and Chris. Where are they this morning? Uh, love you guys so, so much. Um, for the past five years or so, these guys have been our oversight uh, at church and helping us and mentoring us. And, and that's just wrapped up and we've transitioned to, to new oversight. And I'm still not sure what we've done wrong. Um, <laughs> you haven't really been clear on that. Uh, but whatever it is, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Uh, but we love these guys so much and what an incredible um, legacy they have uh, uh, built for Dan and Han to step into and, and for you guys and your children and your children's children uh, that the C3 Corumban really is an incredible church for um, ge- multi-generations to come. In fact, I would say this, um, C3 Corumban is my go-to church when I can't go to church. And what I mean by that is we don't have an online streaming uh, facility for our services. Uh, so when our family went down with the old spicy cough a couple months ago, um, we couldn't go to church. I came here. It was awesome. 
You didn't even know, but I was behind that camera up the back there on my laptop in bed with a cup of coffee going, preach, Dad, preach, that's awesome. So uh, this is my go-to church when I can't go to church. I love this church. I, I love the worship. Seriously, like that's, like I'm a big sucker for worship. I like beautiful worship. I like worship that's not rushed, where it's not verse, chorus, verse, chorus, next song. It's like you just create space for the presence of God, for ministry in our soul. And, and songs like Majesty, man, there's... How good is that? Like, that, that song never dates. It's just always got a touch of heaven on it. Absolutely love it. And so uh, it's a privilege to be here. It's such an honour. I, I mean that genuinely. And uh, to be part of this series, Walking in Him Together. And I've listened to, to a few of the messages up until this point, so I'm, I'm aware of the journey you're going on, and I love that. And I'm, I just love that, the concept of the title, Walking in Him Together. And as I was preparing this, the, the scripture that jumped into my mind was Psalm 68, verse 6, which says, God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. That's what God does. That's the father heart of God is to, to take, to go see, get the one and bring them back to the 99, to, to get the lonely, bring them into family, that, that, that the Christian life is never meant to be done alone. Jesus established and is building the local church, the community of believers, you and I, for that very reason, so that he could build us and grow us and shape us into all he has for us. And I love what Pastor Dan's been saying, that there is no such thing as isolated sanctification. Is that the language you use? Isolated sanctification. Our process of sanctification and growing in our our Christ-likeness can't be done Alone, we need each other as iron sharpens iron to grow in our faith, to mature in him and to develop the fruit that God would have us bear in our life. And, and we're all meant to bear fruit. We're all meant to be fruitful, right? And so the thing about fruit is, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine just recently, he's a, a horticulturalist. Um, you got to be careful how you say that. So he, he was saying to me that fruit, once it's produced on the tree, provides zero nutrients of value to the, to the, the, the host tree itself. The fruit it produces is for others. So when an apple tree bears fruit, what it does is a couple of things. It's first of all an indicator that that tree is healthy, so that's a good thing. And it also, that fruit produces nourishment and health for those that partake it. And also within that fruit has the potential for new life to come from it. So the fruit that you and I produce in our walk with Jesus, the fruitfulness that He would have come out of us is evidence that God is at work in us, that we are healthy. It's supposed to help other people and provide nourishment and health for them. And ultimately in that, it has the potential to spark new life as we sow seeds of faith and hope and love in those around us to advance the kingdom. And so that's the Christian life. That's walking in Him together. We do that. Um, and we can't do that very well alone. Um, we will die. I remember um, a few years ago, if you've been around Christian circles for any um, period of time, there's been a catchphrase that's, that's gone around called um, better together. You heard that one? Better, it's beautiful. It's like I love Christian catchphrases. I love Christian gimmicky stuff. It's my favourite. Um, but better together. And it's true. Like It's absolutely a true statement. We, we are better together. But I kind of feel like that's the halfway point. 
And, and I feel like it sort of just gets us to this point where, okay, that's true, but then what? There's got to be more to that picture. And so we did a series about three or four years ago called Together Better. Because it's all good and well for us to be better together, but what does that look like when we actually are together? How do we do together in a better way? Because of course, together we are better, but how do we do together better, more like God, loving one another for the glory of God, the good of others and our joy? How does that happen when the body gets together? How do we actually become more like Jesus in the kind of church that he's trying to establish and grow on the earth today? So I'm hoping, my prayer, my hope, is that this message would help us understand how to do um, together better. If I've confused you, you're welcome. I may have confused myself in the process. <laughs> and it's going to get worse as I read this passage. 1 John is the, uh, the uh, scripture passage assigned for me this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. At least I hope so, Dan. Otherwise, I'm going to ruin your whole schedule. Um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 to 11. If you want to open your Bible and either turn there or scroll there, you can read along with me in your book. John says this. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the true honour and the true privilege it is to be here, part of this service today, part of this community of believers. Lord, I pray that as we unpack this passage, as we look into the meaning uh, that is there, that you would just do something inside of our hearts, Lord God, stir an affection um, more for you and an affection more for others, Lord God, that we would truly uh, be better together and do together better. Father, I just thank you that you would move amongst us, give us hearts to receive and give us hands ready to apply the truth you want to bring to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 7 and 8, it sounds a little contradictory. Um, I give you a new commandment. No, no, actually, no, it's not a new one. It's an old one. Oh, wait, hold on a minute. Yeah, it actually is a new one. It's, it's, it's like I'm reading this going, this is like watching my 11-year-old daughter get dressed in the morning. It's like, yeah, I like that. No, no, no I like that off. No, I'll put this one. Oh, yeah, no, the red shoes, not the blue shoes. Like, Just pick something. And John's like, it's old, it's new. And then wait, wait. So... What he's actually saying is, I'm not bringing a new commandment in, as in it's some, some recent new revelation that you've never heard before, but he's saying, I'm bringing a fresh understanding, a fresh enlightenment. It's, it's a newness as in the freshness that, that the Spirit would have on the, the meaning as a result of what Jesus had accomplished on the cross. So, so there's this freshness to this commandment. Because this commandment, they're about to jump into this old commandment, loving other people, goes right back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses brings the law and says, hey, love people, love God, love people. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 23, says the same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So, so this isn't a new commandment as such, but there's this, there's this freshness, there's this, hey, this, we've got to get, get ready for what God would have for us in this space again. Verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. 
So thank you, Dan, for giving me this passage to break down this morning. I'm going to get real heavy for a little bit and then I'll try and lighten the load as we go on. People can think that they're Christian, even profess with their mouth, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. But the reality is some people will hear the words that Jesus gives in Matthew 7.23 where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. So we can say we're a Christian. We can even think we're a Christian. But some people, this is a tough pill to swallow, will hear the words from Jesus, sorry, I, did, I never knew you. James weighs in on it this way in, in his letter in chapter 2, verse 7 and 18. He says, faith by itself that does not have works is dead. And someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So the life I live is an indicator of what is happening internally inside of me. I can't say I do something and then live a completely different way. And that's what John's saying here. You can't say that you're in the light and then hate your brother because that's just evidence that you're actually still in the darkness. Because if you were in the light, you would love your brother as you ought to. Jesus in Matthew 7.20 says that we will know people by their fruits. And we talked about fruit just before. The fruit on someone's life is evidence of what's happening down at even the root level. And so, you know, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. We can't say that we love Jesus and hate people. We can't hate the thing that he loves most. Think about this. People are at the very core of the gospel. For God so loved the world. For God so loved humanity, the Imago Dei, those who are marked with his image, that he sent his only son. So whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. People, from God's perspective, people are at the core of the gospel. And for people, Jesus is at the core of the gospel. Because when Jesus looks down on redemption, people are at the core of that. When we look up for salvation, Jesus is at the core of that. And so if God loves people, we can't hate the thing that he loves and still call ourselves a follower of God. I know it's deep. I'm sorry. And it's early. Thank you. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, which literally means to obey God. Okay? So to hate others is to be in the darkness. To be in the darkness means to be in rebellion against God. But to, to, to love others is to be in the light. And to be in the light is to obey God. And I know that C3 Corumban gets this. I know that you know this to be true. And I know that you live this way. How do I know that? Well, just over here, there's a, a building called Genuine Love, right? And it functions and operates a whole bunch of programs to help people, to show genuine love to people. I know what you've done with the flood relief in northern New South Wales. I, I know what you guys have done to assist what's happening in Ukraine. I know the incredible amount of global church planting partnerships you've been involved in over the years. I know the heart that's in Dan and Hannah for, for more um, mission projects to happen in the future. It's evidence that you guys get that it's about loving people. In fact, I got that on you guys um, 16, 18 years ago. I have, I'm terrible at maths. I'm a words guy, not a numbers guy. Um, so whatever 2006 was in relation to now, um, uh, someone, anyone? That'll do, thank you. I see that, I see that hand. Um, 
So in 2006, I came up here as a youth pastor with a bunch of uh, our team because you guys were running a morning crew breakfast program in local high schools, and we wanted in on that. You guys are in, I think it was, is it King's College, maybe? Um, Hillcrest, that'll do. I see that hand. Um, and... And doing this incredible program, serving hundreds and hundreds of young people in, in local high schools. And so we came up to go, how are you guys doing this? How does it function? And spent a whole weekend watching your team do that so we could then go back and do the same thing in our local high school. So, so I've seen this in your life, this loving people, um, so evident and so rich in the culture of this church. So I guess this message is more about affirming what I already see or maybe calling out something in you if there's a, a struggle or a battle in, in this particular area. So I want to dive a little deeper into what I'm calling the theology of loving people. The theology of loving people. If you're taking notes, God bless you. Um, if, if not, I guess bless them too, Lord. Um, I, guess, I guess if you wanted to. That's, it's up to you though. It's up to your sovereign hand if you do or not. But in order to go forward, sometimes we need to go back. And you know when you're reading the Bible, it's like, I don't really understand that passage. When we just go back a little bit, to get some context in order to move forward in your full understanding. So, so I want to do this right now. I want to go back a little bit, like, like a whole verse, um, in order to then move forward into a richer understanding of this theology of loving people. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, just one verse earlier, John says this, Whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Like that's pretty clear, right? If you say you're a follower of Jesus, then follow Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Listen to what Jesus said and put that into practice. So our mandate, our mission is anchored to his precedent. What's the will of God for my life? It's, well, just do what Jesus did. Steward what's in your hands today in a way that brings glory to God and that's God's will for your life. Look to Jesus how would he, and this is why I think as cringy as they were back in, in the 90s, don't do the math for me, um, the WWJD wristbands, right? But the, like cringy, get it, totally get that, um, but profound. Like, like actually the more I think about that, what would Jesus do? That is a transforming thought for the life of a disciple. And that should be our default setting in any circumstance we find ourselves in is what, what would Jesus do here? Because I know what I would do, I would, I would blow my stack. Or I would make a stupid decision here, or, or I would upset somebody, or I would be selfish. Or, but what, what would Jesus do? Like it's actually quite profound. So whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. So, so how did Jesus walk? How did Jesus treat people? What was Jesus' theology around loving people? Jesus, wherever he would go, when I, when I read the stories of Jesus, when I read through the Gospels, I, I see Jesus displaying an excessive, unexpected amount of love to people who seemingly didn't deserve it. Time and time again, an unexpected, excessive amount of love to people who seemingly did not deserve it. So a few examples. I think of the lady with the, with the issue of blood. For 12 years, hemorrhaging, had spent every bit of money she had to try and get doctors to, to heal her and treat her and nothing would work. And she was at her wit's end. Like I, I could just imagine the, the torment and the turmoil inside of her. And this one particular day, we know the story, Jesus is passing through this town and, and word gets out that he's around so a massive crowd starts to flock in around him. And Jesus is actually on his way to heal a 12-year-old girl. 
He's got a mission. He's got a, he's got a priority. He's got to get to this girl to bring her healing. And this, this woman who should not have been in that vicinity, her condition rendered her culturally unclean, so she shouldn't have been in the general populace until she had that issue resolved. Then she could resume. But, but she just busted through. She was desperate. She needed a miracle. And so she, as we know the story, she bunts through the cloud. She holds on to Jesus, um, touches his tunic, his cloak, and he turns around and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Look around you. And the story goes, and then he sees this woman who was not, should not have been his priority. The 12-year-old girl he was on his way to visit, that's his priority. He doesn't have time for this. This woman shouldn't even be there. But he sees something in her and he displays this unexpected and excessive amount of love to this woman who seemingly didn't deserve it. He says, today your faith has made you well. You'll be healed. Go. And he heals this woman of this infirmary. Incredible. I think of Zacchaeus. I don't relate to him because he's quite a short little man, apparently. I'm, I'm not going to make any comments. I'm not going to make any comments. I promise. But he was a dodgy dude. He was a bad guy. He, was a, he would rip people like you and me off to line his own pockets to live a life of luxury. So he was not looked upon kindly by the average person. And so he'd sit in his ivory tower and, and count his money like Scrooge McDuck or whatever. And, and then Jesus again passes through the town and because he's a short little fellow, he has to climb the tree to get a glimpse of Jesus to see what's, what it's all about. And, and Jesus singles him out. He didn't deserve it. He was hated. He was despised. He, he was a swindler. He was ripping people off. But he calls him down, takes him to lunch. Or in fact, he said, take me to lunch and goes to his place. And we don't really know what happens in that exchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus. But if I look at the history of Jesus and maybe if my interpretation and understanding of Jesus is, is kind of accurate, I would say that there must have been an excessive, unexpected amount of love poured out towards Zacchaeus because the result of that was Zacchaeus came out as a, as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to give up to half my wealth away. I'm going to replace up to four times whatever I have stolen and wrongfully taken from people. Like, that's a massive shift over one lunch for a guy who seemingly didn't deserve to even be in the same airspace that Jesus was breathing. But Jesus deemed him worthy to give him love. The woman caught in adultery, legally punishable by death and dragged before the authorities. And they bring Jesus in and they're trying to like, hey, we got him here. You know, the law is pretty black and white. If you're caught in the act, it's not even speculative. It's not even like assumed. It's like they were caught red-handed. She is uh, worthy of death. This is what the law says. And they tried to trick Jesus. Pharisees, dumb rookies, honestly. Um, but anyway, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And so we know, we know the story of this as well. This is quite a common story. But here's this woman. She's like, her whole life is literally flashing before her eyes. She is facing imminent death. And she has committed a crime that is worthy of death. And then Jesus, we know, says these, these most beautiful words. You who are without sin, cast the first stone. Fum, fum, fum. Rocks just drop all around the room. And they disperse. And he turns to this woman and he's like, where are your accusers now? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. This unexpected, excessive amount of love towards someone who seemingly didn't deserve it. 
and the story of the prodigal son is another example, which we know that story didn't actually exist. It's a parable to prove a principle. But, but, but what I love about that is, is I parallel the parable of, of, of the prodigal son with, with Jesus' teaching where he says, you know, I, I only do as I see the Father doing, I only speak as I hear the Father speaking. So Jesus' whole existence on earth is to show us what God the Father is like. So when, if you, I don't know what God's like, look to Jesus. What would God do? Look to Jesus. What would God think? Look to Jesus. In Jesus, the Godhead dwells bodily. God is in Jesus, so we look to him. So 1 John 4, 19, you'll get there in a few weeks or months, depends how long this series goes for, I'm not sure. It says, we love because he first loved us. So Jesus first loves us. That's why and that's how we could love because he's already initiated. He took the first step in setting the example for love. And how do we know he loved us? Well, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still walking in darkness, while we were still rebels against God, while we were still oppositional towards being about the things of God, Christ still died for us as a way of demonstrating God's immense love for you and for me. So no matter how bad you think you are, God still loves you. No matter how much you've done that you may think you are unworthy of his love, he still loves you. He went to the cross willingly to pay the once and for all sacrifice of all sins so that you and I in our bad state, in our rebellion, in our sinfulness, in our separation from God could be reconciled back to full relationship with him. All because of this unexpected, excessive amount of love to people who seemingly didn't deserve it. The Christian life without love is nothing. The Christian life without love, nothing. Love initiates, love sustains, and love perfects the Christian life. Let me say that again. Love initiates, love sustains, and it perfects the Christian life. Here's one thing we need to understand when it comes to people. What we, how we, what we do to others, God takes personally. I'm going to get really real here, right? What we do to others, God takes personally. If we help others, God takes that personally. We see this in Matthew 25, 35, where, where Jesus says, um, hey, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. And the disciples are going, what the heck? When were you ever in jail? When were you ever naked? When were you ever hungry or thirsty? So, but when you did this to the least of these, you did this to me. People are created in the image of God. So how we treat people, God, their creator, takes it personally. So if we help people, then we can expect that God's going to smile on that because we are actually not just serving the person, we're serving God. I think Dan's talked about this morning, when we give, when we do missions, it's actually God working through us and it's actually us working for God as well. There's this, there's this cyclical thing. Conversely, if we hurt others, God takes that, takes that personally too. I think of Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul or the conversion of Paul. Saul's conversion, Paul's conversion. Same thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tricky trickster. But the story goes, he, he gets on the road to Damascus, blinded by this light. Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's like, who is this? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
He wasn't literally persecuting Jesus. Jesus had died, resurrected and ascended long before that moment. He was persecuting people. He was persecuting Christians. He was persecuting the Imago Dei, hurting people crediting God's image. And so Jesus took that personally. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And that's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, hey, don't take vengeance for yourself. No, no, God says, let vengeance be mine. I'll take care of it. I think I would much prefer to let God unleash his wrath on others. It'd be far more effective than mine. Because I know that if I unleash what I deem to be right on others, then I am hurting, even though I'm justifying, I'm still hurting someone else, that God's gonna take that personally, even in my justification of that. So we step back and go, you know what, no matter what I do, I wanna make sure that I, I help others and love others because God takes my treatment of others personally. It's pretty clear that Jesus requires us and the Christian faith encourages us to love people. And Jesus himself set the standard of this time and time again. But let me be really clear. I get that this can be tough. The theology of this, the theory of this is beautiful. Yeah, love people, it's so warm and fuzzy. But if you're anything like me, you can probably think of three people right now that it's really tricky to love that person. For what they did, for who they are, for the history that it is there. And so I just want to acknowledge that and say it, it can be tricky. It can be tough. A few years back, um, Anna and I suffered a, a pretty, pretty heavy blow from some of our closest friends. And stuff was said that was very damaging and, and we, were, we were very hurt for, for a long time. And that severed that friendship. And I, I wouldn't say I, I never got to the point of, of hating this person um, but full disclosure, it was really tough to love them. Really tough to love them. And, and just recently, I was thinking about that and I had a million reasons why I, didn't, I shouldn't love them. Because this, 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 this. The only problem with that is I, I couldn't find one scripture to back that up. <laughs> I was waiting for God to give me confirmation on my position. He's like, nah. No, You've you got to let vengeance be mine. You've got you to release that toxic thing in your heart because um, it's going to do more damage to you internally than them externally. And so recently I was talking about this with Anna, and you know how sometimes you, you go through those I feel sorry for me stages, so you bring up old stuff just to sort of have a whinge, or is that just me? Um, and stuff that's, stuff that's probably already dealt with, you just bring it up again just to sort of feel good and, you know, to feel justified in your being unrightly treated, whatever. So we had this one of these pity party moments, and and, and we're going around in circles and really weren't getting anywhere. All we were doing was just feeling sorry for ourselves about this issue. And I remember the Holy Spirit just popped in my heart in that moment. Um, he said, what's your theology on forgiveness? So I just said, shut up straight away. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to borrow that. Like, but it just stopped me in my tracks. And he said, what's, follow up, follow up question, what's your theology on restoration? Like, oh, come on, man, Seriously? Don't use the Bible against me. Like, why would you do that, Lord? I thought you loved me. But he was, it was right. Like, what is my theology on forgiveness? Because I can take the cosmic forgiveness of God for sins and it sounds so beautiful, but when it gets translated and extracted and distilled right down to me in a personal situation, what does that theology hold weight in everyday relationships? Can I show forgiveness and grace? Can I, as an agent of Jesus Christ, can I, as an ambassador for Christ, show an unexpected and excessive amount of love to someone who seemingly doesn't deserve it? 
I'd like to say yes. And my journey of sanctification is needing a church body to help me with those issues in my life to be able to bear fruit that would lead me to a point where I would be like Jesus. Because if I say I abide in him, but I hate someone or I don't love them like I should, well, I'm actually still in the darkness. I'm back to square one again. It's, it's almost it's very foundational, fundamental to the Christian walk. And I found that the more I love God, this is the cool thing about God, the more I love God, the more He creates space in me to love others. It's almost like the, the, the more of Him is in there and the less of me, the more I can actually embrace and love and care for others. It's, it's pretty cool, even those that don't really deserve it. Um, a couple other final points around this theology of, of loving people is um, I've discovered that people are like they are for a reason. They're like me, they're broken. And, and people will lash out, people will say stuff, people will, will offend you, people will hurt you, people will give you cause to hold bitterness in your heart. But they're like that for a reason. And when we understand that, I've come to a point where I understand that, that gives me grace to go, okay. So what's going on there for them? And also, the second part of that is too, I've also realised that how, at the core of me, how sinful I am and how in desperate need of Jesus I am as a human being. And so when I get that revelation of their brokenness and the depth of depravity and my brokenness, then that almost like it cancels each other out so that grace can rise and I can see things as they actually are. And I can look above the offence, look above the hurt and know that I'm in desperate need of Jesus. They're in desperate need of Jesus and maybe that's why they're lashing out at me. But can I take the higher road and actually abide in the light? Can I actually obey Jesus? Can I actually follow Jesus and show love to this person as an evidence that God is actually at work in me? See, the fight within us to extend grace and love to others for the sake of unity and for the sake of peace is far less costly in the long run than the price of, uh, the price of disunity and disorder. So wordy, isn't it? I don't even know what I just said. <laughs> I'm joking. I kind of do. Um, but the cost, the wrestle, the fight within us to go beyond ourselves to push past the hurt. That's a price, right? That's costly for us to, to eat some humble pie and go, you know what? I'm gonna show grace and love. That price is far less than if we let it go and it leads to disorder, disunity, and disconnection. That price is costly. That is, that is damaging. That is, that is fracturing the body of Christ. It's not, not helpful. So as I close, I wanna just give a couple of considerations for us all today. How well are you doing at loving others? Who's, who's the one or the two that, that you need to show love to that's really hard for, for you to do that? And I get it, I know. I know. But I think it's, it's worth journeying in that direction. It's far worth stepping out of our hurt and discomfort and into grace and peace and love than it is just to wallow in that. I, I know, I've learned that from experience. So who do you need to show love to? What is your personal theology around forgiveness and restoration? What do you see in the stories of Jesus, 
in the teaching of Scripture about this idea of forgiveness, about this idea of restoration and, and loving people. So as I finish, I want to share this one passage. I can see why you chose one, John, to study through. It's brilliant. And again, you'll get to this in due time, but in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, I think it sums it up beautifully, this whole thing, where John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, and we know He does, we saw that in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His love for us that while we're sinners, Christ still died for us. We see that in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, all of us, He gave His only Son. Beloved, if God so loved us, and He does, we also ought to love one another. It's really simple. So why don't we just close our eyes right now for this next 10 seconds. I just want to pray a very short prayer over us and I'll hand back to Pastor Dan. God, would you give us the strength Would you give us the grace? Would you give us the courage to love others? Even those that we deem unworthy. Help us remember that you lavished your love on us despite our unworthiness. Help us step out of the darkness and live in the light. Help us to live like you because you live in us. God, would you bless every single person in this room this morning? Would you bring freedom? Would you bring healing? Would you bring grace and mercy and love to every one of our hearts? Would you give us a deep sense of who we are in you and what you've done for us and the love that you have freely poured out to every single one of us. And Lord, would you help us to not just hold that love for ourselves, but to distribute that to others, even those that we deem unworthy. Help us to love the unlovable. Help us to live this life you've given us like you did Jesus. Lord, give us the ability, give us the power, the supernatural strength to move past our own hurt, our own offence, our own bitterness and anger and resentment and to choose a higher way, to choose your way, to choose love. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for a greater sense of unity in this, this place. I thank you that you are just stitching the members of this church together like a beautiful tapestry that will be like a billboard to the world about the kindness and love of God. That the church will be a beacon of conflict resolution and how to do it well. The church will be a lighthouse for emotional health and how to process things well. The church will be an example of how to actually love people genuinely without expecting anything in return. All because we have a deep and profound understanding of all that Jesus has done for us individually. 
God, would you bless us? God, would you touch us? In your name we pray. Amen.